1: Hi, it's Wes Kosova. The Big Take is taking a break this week, so here's an episode you might have missed. You may remember a couple years ago, there were all these news stories in the US about people going to start their cars and finding thieves had stolen their catalytic converter. And then tons of videos popped up on YouTube and the evening news. They showed people brazenly crawling under cars in parking lots and sawing off catalytic converters in broad daylight.
2: These 16 cars at Driver's Village in Cicero are now sitting in park after two sneaky thieves stole each of the vehicle's catalytic converters back California, in May.
3: California, this crew was captured on camera by the car's owner. Look at them jack up the car and off they go. The owner said they had a catalytic converter
2: in hand. Turns out, unfortunately, even police vehicles are not safe
1: from catalytic converter thieves. It was happening all over the country, and it kept happening. That made Bloomberg Businessweek contributor, Evan Ratliff, wonder, was this just an uptick in petty crime, or was there something more going on here? So he went to find out. The short answer, yeah, there was a lot more going on
3: here. People are bringing U-Hauls and trucks full of them, and. You know, they stand there and they price them out, they pay them in cash, and then they're gone.
1: I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, your catalytic converter is worth its weight in gold, or platinum to be precise. Evan, what is a catalytic converter? Well, a catalytic converter is
3: essentially a device, a mechanical device before your your exhaust pipe. There's this little structure. It's like a fat pipe connected to skinny pipes. So inside the fat pipe, there's what they call in the trade a core. It's usually like a ceramic core or they call it a honeycomb core because it sort of looks like a honeycomb from a beehive. And inside of that, there are catalysts. And what those catalysts do is they clean the exhaust coming from your engine before it exits the tailpipe. So it takes really horrible gases like nitrous oxide and carbon monoxide and converts them to relatively harmless gases, including carbon dioxide, which is not harmless to the environment, but in terms of smog and ground pollution. So the catalytic converter serves this important function. And the actual catalyst, the chemical reactions are catalyzed by these three metals that are included in a catalytic converter, which are rhodium, palladium, and platinum. They're part of this group called platinum group metals, or PGMs, you'll hear all the time PGMs in terms of catalytic converters. And so those metals exist in sort of trace amounts, less than a quarter ounce, inside a catalytic converter. And that is where the value lies for someone trying to steal a converter.
1: And what's so fascinating about that is for a lot of years, as you say, like trace amounts of these metal, eh, who cares? They'd go to the junkyard, no one gave them a second thought, or maybe scrap metal places would take them and see what they could get. But that changed during the pandemic, right?
3: The metal prices fluctuate on the open market, and they're pretty rare metals, especially palladium and rhodium, platinum a little less so, but palladium and rhodium are hard to mine. They're kind of byproducts of platinum mines and other mines. So in pre-pandemic times, they just weren't worth all that much. And then the pandemic struck a lot of the mines were closed particularly in south africa which is the predominant place where these metals are mined and there were also infrastructure logistics problems supply chain problems so the prices shot up of the metals shut up in an extraordinary way in some cases so as the prices started going up it became more and more valuable to have a catalytic converter so those prices went up correspondingly because if you have a used catalytic converter you can, through a pretty complicated process, extract the metals and sell them back to the market.
1: So, Evan, you said when you first started looking into this, it was kind of, ah local crime. But then you started looking a little deeper, and that's when you found, no, those people on the street are the beginning of this really big, long global supply chain for the metals inside these converters.
3: The place where I really discovered that this was a much bigger story I was actually piggybacking on the back of an investigation that was started by the police department in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And in Tulsa, they had the same problem they had all over the United States, which is there were a lot more catalytic converter thefts beginning in 2020. They tried to figure out what to do about it. And within the Tulsa PD, there was one particular detective who decided that not only should they look at the local thefts and what they call cutters, people cutting them off the cars, but also where did they all go? Like, where were they selling them? Where was the money coming from? And he started an investigation where they ended up investigating the whole supply chain of these stolen converters. And so I sort of decided to tell the story of how that developed.
1: So your story starts out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it's with A traffic stop right like so many other stories like this begin yeah basically pretty
3: routine traffic stop someone called in it was actually an off-duty cop saw a pickup truck full of catalytic converters called it in because after all these thefts started happening it became suspicious to be driving around with a bunch of catalytic converters in the back of the truck it turned out there were 120 something in there they pulled the truck over at the wheel was a guy named tyler curtis And Tyler Curtis is, I think at the time, he was maybe 24, 25. He had grown up in Oklahoma, and he had gotten into the catalytic converter business. And when he was pulled over, what he said in response to, why do you have all these catalytic converters, was, I'm a legitimate catalytic converter dealer. I'm a scrap metal dealer. And they didn't actually charge him with the catalytic converters. He happened to also have a small amount of drugs in his car and an unlicensed gun. So they charged him with that, but they didn't charge him with the catalytic converters. That traffic stop was sort of the beginning of tracing this whole network because of what they found out about Tyler Curtis next.
1: And so Curtis really did have this business Yeah. And that's one of the tricky things about this whole
3: industry was that Tyler Curtis had actually worked. He had learned about the business at a legitimate scrap metal recycling, catalytic converter, recycling outfit outside of Tulsa. And that's where he learned the business. And then he said, wow, this business is booming. He started his own business. But the question with catalytic converters is how much due diligence are you doing when people show up with these catalytic converters? And if someone shows up with a truckload, then If they don't have paperwork, they don't show where they came from, you might be buying stolen converters. Now, what the authorities allege was that Tyler Curtis and the people up the chain from him, they really leaned into buying from anyone, no matter how sketchy, even encouraging people to bring stolen catalytic converters. That's the allegation. But it's very difficult to tell if you just look at the catalytic converters, where they came from.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute because we talked about how you get underneath the car and you take this thing off but how do you take off a catalytic converter if you're going to steal one usually if they're going to steal one they will
3: pull up to parking lot driveway someone will hop out they'll have a jack like a hydraulic jack or at least a floor jack they'll jack up the car really quickly crawl underneath take out what's called a sawzol which is a reticular saw it's a handheld battery powered saw and they'll saw the pipe on either end of the converter and then they'll pull it out. They can do it in a couple minutes, throw it in the back of the car, drive off. That's the standard theft. But once you have it off the car, there's actually no indication where it came from. You cannot look at a catalytic converter and say it came from this specific car. You can say the make and model, they have a parts number essentially that you can use to figure out, oh, this was from a Toyota Tundra. This was from a Toyota Prius. But there's not like a
1: VIN number on the converter.
3: There's not. They don't come with that. So that means if you have a whole box full or truck full or warehouse full of catalytic converters, someone can't go through them and say, oh, these are stolen and these aren't. Now, a lot of cops will say, I can tell because they're rough cut, which means they look like they were cut with a saw instead of unbolted from the car. But the reality is a lot of junkyards where they legitimately cut them off, they also use sawzels. They might cut it a little more carefully, but It's very difficult to sort of take someone in a serious case in front of a court and use, like, the saw mark as the evidence that you're using to try to put them away.
1: Right, because if it's in a junkyard and the car is junked anyway and you legitimately want to get the catalytic converter, why would you take time to carefully unbolt the thing? Just take it off.
3: Yeah. All they're going to do is recycle it. They're going to crush it and take the inner core dust out. And that's going to be smelted and eventually refined back into the metals. So it doesn't matter how you cut it. And not only is that a legitimate business, it's an important business. Like, the recycling of these metals is actually very important. And I think a quarter of all PGMs are actually recycled. And it should be more. And so you have this strange mixture of this legitimacy and then the illegal side of it kind of infiltrating into a legitimate business.
1: And that's exactly what drew you to Tyler Curtis. He's running this business, and the converters he's getting are probably coming from all kinds of places. But the cops are really suspicious, and so they decide, all right, we're gonna put our eyes on this guy.
3: Yeah, I mean, they get suspicious of Tyler Curtis in part because they started arresting a lot of cutters, street cutters, people who they catch cutting them off cars, and some of those people lead them to another intermediate buyer. They're selling to a guy. And that guy shows up at Tyler Curtis's place. So they put a GPS on this guy's car and he shows up at Tyler Curtis's place and they say, well, maybe Tyler Curtis is bigger than we thought. They get a warrant for his iPhone and iPad. And then they discover, oh, he's got links to some larger network, allegedly. And then they get a warrant for what's called a pole camera, which is like it sounds, a camera that you put on a pole but surreptitiously, so probably like a fake utility guy goes out and climbs a pole, puts it outside of his place, and then they're watching his facility 24 hours a day, and they start to see the volume that are coming in. Pickup trucks pulling up, U-Hauls pulling up, people with trailers attached pulling up, and they've got 50, 100, 200 converters in the back, and he's pricing them, or someone who works for him is pricing them, they're paying them in cash, and they eventually calculate that He's handling 5,000 to 6,000 converters per week. So that's just people showing up pretty much all the time with loads of converters. So he's really running a booming business. There's millions of dollars coming through. And the crazy thing is that all of it is in cash. Like they're really operating in cash. It's a cash business. And so now that's not all profit. He's not making millions of dollars of profit, but he's in the seven to eight figures range in terms of what he's doing over the course of less than a year. So that's a lot of cash that you need to be dealing with and have around all the time.
1: So Tulsa is in a very big place. These converters have to be coming from all over the place then.
3: Yeah, they quickly discover that they're coming from all over the Southwest. They're coming from Texas. They're coming from... Oklahoma, obviously, but they're coming from the Midwest, like some from California, like they're driving in, people are bringing U-Hauls and trucks full of them. And, you know, they stand there and they price them out, they pay them in cash and then they're gone. So then it creates this additional question, well, where is all this cash coming from? And one of the things they discover is that they're packaging them up in these boxes.
2: Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients.
0: Learn more about QuickBooks Money at QuickBooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
3: And then shipping them to New Jersey.
1: After the break, what happened to those catalytic converters in New Jersey? Evan, so the cops are now tracing up the chain. I think the phrase you use in the piece is that they wanted to kind of get the head of the snake.
3: Yeah, that's what the detective in Tulsa PD, whose name, by the way, is Kansas Core, which is an incredible name for someone who's investigating catalytic converter theft where the prize thing that you're getting is the core and everyone calls it the core in the business so kansas core was the person who really spearheaded the investigation out of tulsa pd he was the person who essentially said like we can get to the top and yeah his superior told me we want to cut the head off the snake
1: so kansas core traces these catalytic converters from tulsa to new jersey and what they find there In New Jersey,
3: they found this company called DG Auto, which was operated by a pair of brothers. The older one, his name is Lovin Kana. Lovin's sort of his nickname, everyone calls him. And the two of them had been in the scrap metal business for a long time, you know, recycling all kinds of things, batteries, air conditioners, that sort of thing. And they shifted into entirely dealing with catalytic converters in 2020, when the prices went up and it was clear that this was a huge business. And then pretty quickly, they started receiving converters from all around the country. So they figured out how to sort of network with regional players like a Tyler Curtis, who would sort of gather up all the local catalytic converters, put them in a box, ship a bunch of pallets of those catalytic converters to them in New Jersey, and then they would take it the next step. They built a significant business, not just selling the converters, but also this app that they launched where you could price catalytic converters. So one of the hard things about legitimate or illegitimate business in catalytic converters is that the metal prices fluctuate. So by the time you go to sell it, the price may be different than when you either obtained it legally or stole it. And so on their app, you could actually check the prices day by day. You could even lock in prices. So you could say, I wanna lock in this many converters at this price. It's called hedging, so if the price goes down, then you're good and you're not gonna lose your shirt over whatever lot you have of catalytic converters. So they were a sophisticated operation and they also were just making money hand over fist. I mean, this is where the money gets really big. We're talking $545 million alleged by the Justice Department over the course of essentially less than three years. Again, in revenue, that's not their profits, but that's the amount of cash that was passing through this business.
1: And so they were getting these converters from all over. Like when Kansas Corps is talking about trying to trace up the line. So you have these guys who are either selling them legitimately from junkyards or other places, or chopping them off cars, and then selling them to another person, and then selling them to an intermediary like Tyler Curtis in Tulsa. And there are Tyler Curtises all over the place. And then they're all funneling to New Jersey.
3: Yeah, so the Khanna brothers had, and DG Auto, they had a facility. I went there and I interviewed some of the other people that worked next to it. And they said they were just coming in 24 hours a day. Like, we're talking tractor trailers full of catalytic converters. And also they were getting shipments through, you know, major freight companies. So they're getting pallets and pallets of these. Eventually they bought a junkyard, which was a larger place for them to receive the catalytic converters. And also a junkyard is sort of a natural place where you would also get legal catalytic converters. So I think the authorities would allege that they did that kind of as a cover, but it's a great place to receive catalytic converters. So they had these facilities, they would receive them from all around the country, and then they take them to the next step, which is they have, in the end, four decanning machines, which are essentially things that you take the catalytic converter and you stick it in there and it's like a guillotine and it slices it open and then it crushes it and all the dust from the ceramic core falls into a box. So then you have what's called catalytic converter dust, which is the metals are in there. They're that dust. In fact they have a special vacuum that vacuums up the dust that kind of drifts into the air because that dust that just drifts off of it is also valuable you need to collect it all so they had four of these machines they're running them all the time and they're taking all these converters and they're putting them in boxes and they're sending them on to a refiner based in new jersey so that's where the process kind of like moves on to its next step And these guys were really, I mean, they were really living the high life. You know, they bought Ferrari, McLaren, you know, the highest-end cars for hundreds of thousands of dollars. They bought a big house in New Jersey on a big plot of land. And they were basically scrap metal dealers made good. You know, they were at
1: the top of the industry. With DG Auto, the cops who are pursuing this case have the same kind of question as they do with Tyler Curtis back in Tulsa, which is how do you tell whether this is a legit operation? How are you able to tell where a crime may have been committed? So how do they start to zero in on their case?
3: The complicated question for the cops here is they have some intuition that these people are dealing in stolen catalytic converters, but you have to be able to prove it. And first of all, you have to prove that a certain number of them are stolen. And then you have to be able to prove that they knew they were stolen. Both of those things have to be true if you're going to win the case or get indictments even. So proving that there were stolen converters in there involved essentially tracking who showed up at different places, And then they combine that with sending confidential informants in to sell to these places. And the confidential informants would often come in and tell some story about how, oh, I picked these up off a guy who he was chased by the cops and then he hit him in the woods and then he got him back out. You know, elaborate story about how sketchy they were in order to establish a sort of trail of evidence that they were buying catalytic converters that they knew had a sketchy origin or knew were explicitly illegal. You know, they were stolen out of a warehouse, or that sort of thing. So
1: they sent these guys in there, and did they buy from them?
3: They did. It's hard to tell if there were more cases, and I'm sure if it goes to trial, the defense might offer more cases where they might have rejected that. It may be the case that they sent in a bunch and they rejected them and they said, oh, I don't want to buy those. But they certainly were able to document cases where people came in trying to sell sketchy converters, and They bought them all, gleefully, according to the indictments.
1: So, Evan, how did this ultimately all unravel?
3: Well, the investigation became extremely sprawling. It involved the Department of Homeland Security. It involved police departments all over the United States. The investigation became so large, so unwieldy, that all of these different organizations, these police departments and the feds and everyone else, the important players had to get together in Philadelphia for three days to sort of plot the end game of how they were going to take these places down because they had locations all over the country to sort of pick and choose from. And they wanted to do them all simultaneously. So they came up with a code name because cops love to come up with a code name. They called it Operation Heavy Metal. And they picked a day in early November of 2022 when they were gonna take everybody down at the same time. The day came and I interviewed actually the next door neighbor to Tyler Curtis's business. And he had actually rented the warehouse to Tyler Curtis and believed from all outward appearances, it's a completely legitimate business. And he was sort of described that morning in November where he was getting a coffee and he just looked out his window and there was a tank outside, and there were like shooters on the roof next door. And he was sort of like, what is going on? And he thought, oh, this guy I rented the warehouse to must be dealing drugs and weapons or something. And then he sort of went out and talked to the cops, and they told him it was catalytic converters. And he said, well, I don't know, it seems like a little overkill (laughs) with the SWAT teams that they brought. But they did that all over the country. They brought in sort of their heaviest tools. They raided the warehouse in Tulsa. They also in Nevada, in Wisconsin. They did a raid of Virginia. They did multiple raids in New Jersey for the Kana. So that included their facility and also their home where they had all the fancy cars in their six car garage.
1: This Ferrari is one of several luxury cars seized from this
0: $1.7 million home Wednesday. It's where federal agents say DG Auto LLC is based.
3: Here in Oklahoma, a raid took place at a facility in Wagner County this
2: morning.
0: Catalytic converter theft ring. This might be happening in your neighborhood. It's happening all around the country.
2: One of these defendants actually has an Instagram account with a picture wearing a necklace with a catalytic converter on it. So big money here, big arrests, a big case by the Department of Justice.
3: Around the country, they arrested 21 different people connected to the alleged network. And the allegations are basically like interstate stolen property, and money laundering.
1: And so they took Tyler Curtis into custody?
3: They took Tyler Curtis into custody. Actually, he had pulled out right when they came with their raid, and then he came back maybe to see what was going on. They arrested everybody without incident, and then Tyler Curtis was actually, he couldn't even get out on bail for a good five months after they had him in, and and the conists to this moment have not gotten out on bail. They're actually still in jail waiting trial.
1: Tyler Curtis was in custody, but made bail and is now out awaiting trial. What does he have to say about his case?
3: Well, he's pleaded not guilty. And I spoke to him briefly. He seemed eager to talk about what had happened. I think he does have a defense that he could put on here. But then when he came back, he said that he'd consulted with his lawyer and he had to wait till the case was resolved before we could actually talk.
1: What do Tyler Curtis's lawyers say about their client? His lawyer
3: declined to speak on his behalf.
1: And what about the Kanna brothers? What do they say about the charges against them? The Kana brothers both
3: have pleaded not guilty in California to the federal charges against them. Love and Kana's attorney emphasized that he is innocent until proven guilty. Of course, that applies to both of them. And that he has the support of the community. It's worth making sure everyone understands that everyone involved here is not guilty until proven otherwise.
1: I'm curious, you have so many details about what was going on inside the investigation and what they knew. How do you know all this stuff?
3: Well, some of what I know comes from the indictments. So the indictments are pretty detailed. But then in looking for court documents around the case, I sort of happened upon the reality that a number of search warrant affidavits and seizure affidavits, which are filed with federal judges, were available through the federal court document system, which is called PACER. They were not sealed. And typically in cases like this, they would be sealed. And then I also spent time on the ground in Tulsa just interviewing people and talking to people about what Tyler Curtis's business was like.
2: Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients.
0: Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
3: And Even the Tulsa PD, like what they sort of went through in
1: trying to figure it out. When we come back, where all that dust ends up. So after the police had moved in and rounded up all these people, then the question became, where did all that dust that contained these precious metals go, that generated all that cash that was able to pay for these converters all the way down the line? And that's where the next step of your story went. Up from DG,
3: there's another organization. And that organization is, in the court documents, it's just called a refiner in Burlington, New Jersey. And it's actually a company called Doa that's based in Japan. And they were buying the dust that was being sold by DG. And their expertise is taking that dust, shipping it to Japan where they have facilities that smelt and then refine that dust back into PGMs, platinum group metals, which they then sell to the market. So they're ultimately where all the science lives. That's where they really can take the inside of a catalytic converter and turn it back into the thing that's valuable. And again, that is an important business because the recycling business depends on smelters and refiners being able to get the metals out. Now, in this case, DOA was buying from DG, I mean, they were buying also some catalytic converters too, but they were buying all this dust. And if you think about the dust, The dust is so far from the catalytic converter that was on the car in terms of what you could do. Like, you literally could not possibly trace this dust back to where it came from. It's dust. And that company is not indicted in this case.
1: And we should also say the company is not accused of any wrongdoing. Its name was redacted in the indictments, and prosecutors refer to it only as an unindicted co-conspirator.
3: Now, I went down to the company to see what was going on there. I talked to an assistant purchasing manager there. He didn't really want to talk about the business and he didn't really want to talk about stolen catalytic converters. And he said we would talk more later. And then he sent me to the press liaison who then never responded to any of my requests. But people in the recycling business, refiners, everybody has this problem, which is that if you get a box of dust that's catalytic converter dust. There's a pretty good chance that somewhere in there, fractionally, there's a stolen converter that is part of that dust. But how could you possibly figure out where it came from, which one it was? And so that's where the challenge of sort of trying to pull apart the illegal business that's infiltrated illegal business, trying to pull it back out becomes incredibly challenging the further up the chain you go.
1: So Tyler Curtis and DG might claim, well, we didn't do anything wrong. We were just buying a legal product on the market. Does that argument actually hold any weight?
3: Well, I think there are people in the industry who say they're just being made an example of because this is such a huge problem. And they were dealing with it the way everyone else was dealing with it. They were buying a ton of converters, yes. But also, I had one person tell me, if you look at the number of stolen catalytic converters, which is anywhere from the low end, like 65000 a year to up to 150000 a year in the United States. And you kind of run the math on, even if they had a majority of those that were running through, let's say, DG Auto, it's still not most of their business. Like, most of their business was still legal. And so the question becomes, how many illegal converters infiltrating your business turns you into a criminal? And I think the law is not really set up to try and confront that. And the industry is also struggling with that because people in the legitimate catalytic converter recycling industry, they also want this problem dealt with. They don't want to feel like criminals. You know, some of them said, I don't even tell people what I do anymore because people think that I'm connected with this thing that got stolen off their car in their driveway and they hate me. And so the legal recyclers are also looking for a way to kind of get this out of the supply chain stream, but it's extremely difficult to do. It's a very strange criminal circumstance.
1: So after this dust goes to the refiner and is turned back into metals, what happens to those metals? They make more catalytic converters. That's the primary use of the
3: metals. Going back into brand new catalytic converters, which was one of the things that really just stuck with me in the story, that if your catalytic converter gets stolen from your driveway, you get a new one. There's some chance the actual PGMs in your catalytic converter came from a stolen catalytic converter. They
1: go back on the market in a totally legitimate market and no one knows where they came from. So, Evan, what is the answer here? You said that legitimate catalytic converter recyclers want the shady side of the business to be shut down. But is there an answer to fixing this problem? There's not a great answer.
3: First of all, the answers are often state by state. So states come up with things like people can get their catalytic converters etched with a serial number so it is actually traceable to your car if it gets stolen. You can bolt it on better. There's kind of a cover that you can put over it. But then in terms of the law... You know, they always kind of fall back on changing catalytic converter theft from a misdemeanor to a felony or making sure that you have to have a certain kind of paperwork. If you possess a catalytic converter, you have to be able to say, what car did it come from? And you have to have a license to possess catalytic converters. But that requires all the way up the chain, people keeping track of the paperwork in a business that when you're dealing with junkyards, muffler shops, It is kind of tough to do especially if the laws are different for every state because some of the dealers work across many states and one told me something that i do in one state i can get arrested for in another state
1: i guess if you look way way down the road electric cars don't need catalytic converters
3: that's the answer as long as electric cars continue their rise maybe that'll solve the problem although in the meantime the problem arguably gets worse because the higher emission standards you have, the higher concentration of PGMs you have in the catalytic converter. So, as the United States and other countries institute these emission standards higher and higher and higher, the catalytic converters become worth more. So, you might have a short term problem and a long term solution.
1: Evan Ratliff, thanks so much for coming on the show.
3: Thank you. Really enjoyed it.
1: Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to Take at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicki Vergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Our producers are Michael Falero and Mo Barrow. Rafael M. Seeley is our engineer. With additional production support... From Abrea Ruffin, our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take.